0: This podcast is brought to you by Knowledge at Wharton. For more information, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu. After years of declining market share and unprofitability, and a multi-million dollar bailout by the United States government, General Motors is once again a publicly held company. The automaker, which raised some $20 billion through last week's initial public offering, is on sounder footing than it has been in years. Yet, the new GM must still compete in a tough global market and must pay back the money it still owes the government. So the question remains, can the new GM perform better than the old GM? Knowledge at Wharton posed this question and others to Wharton Management Professor John Paul McDuffie.
1: And we're here today with John Paul McDuffie of the Wharton Management Department. John Paul, good to see you again.
2: Thanks, Steve. Good to be with you.
1: The, uh... The IPO uh, for the new General Motors um, raised about $20 billion for the company uh, through the sale of those shares in the new GM. Um, How will that help position GM to compete globally now against Ford and Chrysler and all of the other major automakers around the country, around the world, rather?
2: Well, GM has been already competing uh, globally with considerable success, uh, in some ways more successfully outside the U.S. than in the U.S. in, in recent years. I think what the IPO does above all else is it allows them to move away from the perception of being a troubled company that needed government bailout money to the next stage of the story they very much want to tell, which is that they're a reborn company, that's uh, on the move, that has a lot of exciting new products to offer consumers, that's doing very well globally, and that's on its way to being fully independent again. So I think that's the biggest gain. That's a gain in consumer perception. It's a gain in public perception. I think it's probably a boost for the morale and spirits of GM's own employees. And why is it that the U.S. government still owns a pretty big chunk of GM? What is the rationale behind that? It all goes back to the industry bailout, which is exactly what GM, I think, has felt created some some stigma for them. But at the time, it was absolutely essential or they would have likely ended up in Chapter 7 bankruptcy and and liquidation. The government made a judgment call in the fall of 2008, spring of 2009 – that this crisis was not just a crisis of, of one company, but it was actually an industry crisis. That General Motors and Chrysler, both of whom were in the worst shape, uh, if they failed, that it would take down most of the supply base, which would uh, make it impossible for Ford to produce cars or for many of the foreign automakers that are building cars in the US. That it's an industry with a lot of interdependency in the supply base, and so in order to avert an industry disaster with uh, potential job losses of uh, 1 to 3 million to, uh, from various estimates, they decided to step in and uh, rescue GM and Chrysler, forcing them to make a whole set of changes and putting them through a, a very rapid bankruptcy process so they could emerge as uh, new companies. Okay. And the, uh, the bailout then,
1: if, since it was good for the industry as a whole – Um, Just to reiterate your position on the bailout itself, was it a good thing for all concerned, for the unions, for for corporations, for the corporations
2: themselves and for shareholders, do you think? Well, nobody is happy about the bailout having happened or needing to happen. And there's a big concern, I think, politically about – government rescuing companies that may be too big to fail. That's part of the negative association to the bailout. That that certainly is a big concern to GM. My view is that this was uh, perhaps once a century, once a three-quarter century event, uh, that the Great Recession. That we've been through is uh was only exceeded by the great depression that was the last time there was uh, any kind of similar scope of of government action in involvement in the private sector and so i wouldn't want this to be a a a regular occurrence but uh, i think it was warranted under under these conditions ford of course did not take any funds from the government that i believe has benefited ford in a number of ways although it's left them with more debt to manage. Uh, As GM and eventually Chrysler uh, go back to being private companies, the government will be paid back. Will they get all their money back? That's still uh, an open question. Shares sold last week at $33 a share. Uh, In order for the government to have its uh, stake fully repaid, uh, GM stock would have to be selling for about $53 a share. So that's still quite a gap. But uh, both GM and the government felt that it was important to do a sale as soon as possible of at least some of the stock to signal that the government doesn't wish to stay in the business of owning a private company, and GM by no means wishes to stay, a ward of the state. Okay. Now, Ford,
1: uh, Ford's market cap as of today, uh, November 22nd, is about $56 billion, and GM's market cap is about $51 billion. Um, does that sound about right to you? for the market cap of those companies to be what they are, given the relative strengths of Ford and General Motors, do you think?
2: Well, that certainly marks a reversal because for most of the the last century, except for the very early years of the auto industry, General Motors was the larger uh, company with the larger market cap over, over Ford. And uh, it reflects the fact that GM is now a much smaller company. It also reflects the fact that uh, Ford has been uh, receiving a very positive uh, response uh, in the stock market lately and uh, I think not only because of not having received bailout funds but because in some ways its uh, recovery and some of its current strengths have been evident for, for a while now. Those include uh, several very strong new products, uh, quality levels that are much higher and seem to be quite consistently high across the product line. Uh, some refocusing on automobiles, uh, on, on cars as opposed to just trucks and SUVs and on keeping the, the margins of selling prices for those vehicles uh, high enough to keep them in a financially sustainable position. So uh, Ford's done a lot of, of, uh, of the right things lately and they've seen the benefit from that in their stock price and more importantly in the public uh, consumer perception. Um, you've talked about this before, of course, but uh,
1: all of the U.S. companies for many years have had a reputational issue to deal with concerning the quality of their cars. Yes. Um, from what I understand, in most respects, that th- those negative uh, views of those companies, uh, if they haven't gone away in the minds of the public, they perhaps should have because the cars are much better quality now, I think. But do you think GM still has a reputational problem going forward? Will it have to do anything special to convince consumers that... Not only are we back, uh, but we have good, exciting, uh, quality, uh, reliable automobiles to sell to you?
2: Well, this issue is very much in the eyes of the consumer. And there are lag effects uh, in terms of reputation. I'm sure it's very frustrating for for GM, for Ford, to uh, see some perhaps lingering perceptions of quality problems from the past. Uh, they probably benefited in the early years of their quality slipping from some carryover reputation uh, that preceded that. So it's, it's just the nature of, of, of the way things are. I think the key has been uh, for Ford improving quality quite consistently across the product line. Uh, GM for a number of years has had certain models that have been very successful with quality, have gotten awards and the like – but they've also had other vehicles that have still had a lot of quality problems. And so all it takes to keep that reputation alive is hearing from a friend or a neighbor or a colleague about a bad experience with a GM product. And then it reinforces whatever negative perceptions you have. So – and that consistency is is tough. It's tough uh, to keep it across all products uh, – Obviously, a lot of these products have supplied parts that come from suppliers all over the world. So it's not that it's all completely under your control. These are very complex supply chains to manage. But that's the, that's the, uh, you know, that's the test that every automaker has to pass these days.
1: Do you think GM has exciting new vehicles in its pipeline um, that will get consumers excited in the years to come? Uh, and secondly, do they, does the company currently have any vehicles, perhaps the Volt or the Cruise? That might get people excited about the company and to begin looking at GM
2: cars again. There is a number of, of GM models that I think are, are are very promising in that regard, and and they almost occupy different different categories or different spaces. Uh, for Buick to start having some products that people are excited about like the La Crosse is, uh, is uh, a bit of a change because while they had some loyal consumers, uh, they were mostly seen as as being more conservative and having uh, conservative tastes and there wasn't much that was seen as, as really new in the Buick line and that's starting to change. Buick, of course, in one of the interesting uh, international ironies about brands has been GM's top selling brand in China for a long time. Uh, they have a crossover vehicle, which was a space that the U.S. companies were a bit slow to move into, so car-based SUV, ca- car platform-based SUVs. Uh, the Equinox, which has uh, gotten rave reviews and is selling very well. And then you mentioned the Volt and the Cruise. The Cruise uh, competes in a very tough segment against uh, Toyota and Honda products and uh, is getting very good reviews. And the Volt, of course, is this new uh, electric vehicle, which has a, a bit of a unique design. And uh, everybody's waiting to see it. The buzz on it is certainly great. Uh, the price is gonna be high, the demand is uncertain, but it helps GM, as it would help any company, to uh, be perceived as having some products that are at the technological edge.
1: The, uh, the, the IPO <coughs> created, of course, a lot of buzz about the company, um, but what exactly has changed? Why is, how is the new GM different from the old GM? Aside from the government ownership part of it, but I mean internally management and its, perhaps its management structure, management style. Has anything changed from, from the old company to the new that's
2: significant? Well, many things changed as a consequence of the, of the bankruptcy. So GM shed a number of brands, uh, including Pontiac and, and Hummer and Saturn. They uh, closed a lot of plants. There's an old GM, which exists now as a separate company, which consists entirely of assets which are being slowly sold off in one way or another. Uh, So they, in in one fell swoop, had some of the least uh, productive or useful assets uh, shifted off of their balance sheet. They've had a lot of management changes, of course. They have their second uh, new CEO since the uh, bankruptcy ended. Well, first there was an interim CEO, uh, Fritz Henderson, who was a long-timer, and then Ed Whitaker and now Dan Akerson, uh, a number of new board members, and that was one of the primary ways that the new shareholders, the I mean the new owners, the, the government and the unions uh, exerted some governance uh, control was through appointing new members of the board. And uh, so I think those are all the new things. That's an overlay on the fact that there were a lot of things and a lot of areas where GM had made improvements over time in their manufacturing, in their product design, in uh, in their management of suppliers. And many of those things, uh, the goal has been to continue a, a positive trajectory. So it's it's kind of a mix of, some of the good things that were happening already that were somewhat you know, th- thrown for a loop by the financial and industry crisis, uh, the bankruptcy, which caused a lot of restructuring of the sort that we see often in a, a private equity-based uh, workout, and then finally a lot of management changes to, uh, to set a new tone and take the company in a new direction.
1: And I guess that's what I'm asking really. Is there any way to know whether management is even is, – is thinking differently now about how to approach the marketplace? I mean it used to be that – and correct me if I'm wrong, that, that General Motors and the, and the other big two automakers used to basically produce product and then hope they would – I mean to kind of meet the needs of their production lines and hope that there would be enough customers for them. And clearly, that didn't work out very well. So, is the, is upper management has they, is there any way to know whether they've seriously began to rethink how they look at the whole business and how it's changed globally vis-a-vis its competitors and what its customers want and that sort of thing? Do we know that yet?
2: We can we can only look for some telltale signs and 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 keep an eye on a, a broad array of indicators. But one of those might, in fact, be. Uh, kind of the, the, the production levels, the use of heavy discounting and incentives to sell products in order to keep the volume levels high. Uh, GM used to do that a lot. Arguably, they had a primarily fixed cost situation in many of their factories because of both uh, you know, inflexible manufacturing facilities, but also because of the, the labor costs and the legacy uh, costs associated with that. Uh, that was argued to be a reason why they had to keep the factories full and then use incentives to sell. But you know when you're when you're uh, getting almost no margin on your products, sometimes even selling at a loss, uh, that's no recipe for for survival. So so far, we see uh, more focus on a, a smaller number of of vehicles that are more uh, intensively marketed, and uh, sort of holding the line on incentives. so aiming for higher selling prices. All of the brand building, all of the reputation building around quality and around new technologies are to help sustain that. Uh, the reduction in the number of dealerships, while quite controversial and still uh, somewhat politically fraught, also means they don't have as many dealers competing with each other in a close proximity to, you know, to, to, to be the one who gets the customer. So that helps in terms of the, the, uh, the price cutting as well. What
1: is the relationship now? How would you characterize the relationship between the UAW and the company? And what should that relationship look like in the years to come?
2: The, it's a, a, a long and complica- complicated history, of course. Uh, another thing that I think is sometimes lost in the retelling of the recent uh, history is that the union and General Motors and, and also the union with, with Ford and Chrysler had reached some landmark agreements in uh, the 2007 that would completely restructure how health care and pension costs were handled in the future. Uh, that is now largely implemented. It, it was unable to be funded in its original form because of the crisis, but the resolution through the bankruptcy has has allowed that. So they had made progress towards finally solving what had been one of their most uh, persistent and, and, and difficult problems. Coming out of the bankruptcy, I think, and having to work through so many things has left the, the, the companies and the unions and the union working uh, quite well together. I think the big question on everybody's mind if GM uh, returns and is highly profitable is will the union want to revisit some of the concessions that they've made? And what will the company's stance be to that? I think the company's position would be this was a necessary resetting of some of their labor costs and, and shouldn't be you know, uh, viewed as a temporary concession to be negotiated away. I think the union feels that they, uh, that they made an awful lot of, of sacrifices to help GM survive in, in this period, including becoming uh, one, of, one of the owners uh, as, as part of the agreement for how to fund these, these health care and pension funds. And finally, the... Um as you well know, the the pressure
1: on every publicly traded company to perform quarter to quarter is immense. Um, yes. What will What will Wall Street's view of GM be now? Will 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 GM feel that pressure quarter to quarter to show profit after profit after profit? Will Will institutional investors give the company a break because it's coming out of uh, bankruptcy and and therefore will give it some time to get it land on its feet and get its sea legs and and, and work through some issues or not? How do you see that relationship going forward?
2: Well, we don't, we don't know, of course. Uh, I suspect that the goodwill and the, you know, the, the, the openness to kind of giving GM a chance will be relatively short-lived. The feeling will be they have to continue to prove themselves. Uh, there's several things which I think make it likely that GM will be able to keep, uh, keep investors uh, satisfied for a while. Some of it is – has to do with the uh, return gradually of the U.S. auto market to – closer to historic levels of sales. So um, in the crisis, that level had been around 15 15 million a year, 15, 16 million, sometimes reaching as high as as 17 plus. In the crisis, sales plunged to 9 million, so a 40 percent plunge in sales within a couple of months. This year, it looks like there'll be about 12 million. The uh, historical trend on replacement volume, in other words, how many people replace their their vehicles each year, is about 13 million. Of course, a car you can hold on to for a while if you need to, and that's what a lot of people have been been doing. So, you know, as sales return, 13 million seems likely to happen very soon, and it, then we may be back to 14, 15 million. Um, there's a lot of upside for GM, for Ford, for Chrysler, for all of the companies in the U.S. market to, uh, to be getting a part of that, uh, those sales. Uh, GM also is selling very well in emerging economies uh, where more of the growth is. So in the U.S. it's a recovery, but to what will be a relatively low level of growth in these emerging economies like, like China and Brazil and, and, and Russia and India, there, there's a lot of growth and GM is quite well positioned in those markets. So between the recovery of U.S. sales and the global sales and the current strong products, I think uh, things look good for them for a while. But of course, they will have to, particularly with the, the stream of successful new products, have to keep that going. And I think they'll also have to show good management of uh, their global scope, in finding ways to turn it to their advantage. John Paul McDuffie? Uh, Professor of uh, Management here at the Wharton School. Thank you very much. Thank you, Steve. My pleasure.
0: For more business news and analysis from Knowledge at Wharton, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu.